From the heavens to the earth, this is Soundproof. I'm Miyuki Okiranta. We're coming to rest on the banks of the Shoalhaven River in New South Wales, on a property called the Bundanon Trust that was gifted to the arts community by Arthur and Yvonne Boyd. For long-time Soundproof listeners, you might remember about a year ago we first heard of a three-year project called the Biopods. It's Sunday the 16th of November, I'm spending a night on the biopod in the lake at the Bundanon Trust with my son Finn. Yeah, well, the, the biopods one was basically a floating sound recording studio, um, kind of crossed with a glamping situation. <laughs> it, was a, it was a kind of catamaran platform with a, a very substantial um, dome tent, which was fitted out in a rather luxurious way. And it also contained... Um, um, audio recording equipment so that um, someone, uh, an individual, could stay overnight floating in the lake at the, um, the Bundanon Trust's property mm-hmm. and record the extremely rich sonic environment of the lake and the, the woodland surrounding it. But also there was another sort of setup where they could record their own narrative, so a kind of captain's log type of thing. And... Um, yeah, the idea was to kind of build up a, a portrait, kind of almost like a citizen science portrait of the environment at that particular uh, location. That's sculptor and sound artist Nigel Hellyer on the first iteration of his biopods. Very beautiful out here. Quiet at the moment. Calm. The pods are presented at the annual SiteWorks program, and this year's theme was feral. For Nigel's second instalment of the biopods, he turned to the paintings of Arthur Boyd and the feral Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. The one thing I kind of took away with me was I, I really liked the idea of people inhabiting a sort of sculptural form or an object, if you like, or a structure. And so um, for this one, I built three structures which people could actually insert themselves inside Uh, And instead of recording this time, they were to listen to a series of narratives. I I sort of thought about the the feral theme and realised that um, Arthur Boyd had painted a series of something like 70 paintings of um, King Nebuchadnezzar, biblical character, who was um, basically um, sent out into the wild. He was exiled and he he lived as uh, a beast of the field type of thing. He called around on all fours. So... Uh, each of these three um, sculptures, people actually had to crawl into, and then they could lie in one, stand in the other, and sit in the third one, and listen to a narrative, which I kind of spun out of um, looking at the images of um, Boyd's Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, well, it's really interesting to to see a Babylonian king, really, put against the Australian landscape. I don't know, it's quite a kind of assault on the senses. It, how did you try to mimic those shapes in the sculptures and then set them in the Australian an- landscape? Well, in, in a sense, the, um, the sculptures themselves were fairly biologically informed, as it were, and it was as if uh, sculpture themselves had become feral or, or, or kind of uh, creature-like 
or uh -huh. creatures had become sculpture-like, whichever way you like to cut it. Uh -huh. So they were the sculptures were open frameworks. They were built a little bit like the way uh, you might have built an old canvas-covered canoe with frames and ribs, mm. very closely placed. So uh, it looked like a wooden cage almost. But the overwhelming sensation people seem to have had is this one of very peaceful isolation inside them, almost like a meditation cell. And also a feeling of being cut off or um, encapsulated in the landscape, although the things were completely transparent. Yeah. They felt kind of protected inside them, yeah. um, which, is, which is quite strange. I didn't actually expect that. So stands, sits and lays, were, were they constructed in that order? Were you asking people to, to move to them first to standing, then to sitting and then to lying? No, no. I mean, I, I think my approach generally with sand works, which have distributed uh, sources, is to try and develop audio narratives which work in any order. You yeah. know, uh, you can't really force people. I wouldn't want to force people into a kind of a sequence. So letting people choose themselves. And I felt it was important to make narratives which are a little bit kind of continuous or, or circular. So they could dip in and out of them. People realised there were three narratives running mm. simultaneously. So you could kind of, in the background, you could probably hear little snippets of other things. So that would attract people to go from one to another anyway. So we're about to hear um, something from the from these biopods, but what, what are we hearing one of the pieces or what are we about to listen to? We're actually hearing most of the soundtracks from all three of them laid across each other. And um, there's actually a little fragment of, of Arthur Boyd speaking about the Nebuchadnezzar paintings. And there's some very scratchy, distorted music, which I recorded in Boyd's old studio at the Bundanon Homestead mm. on his very, um, very scratchy old gramophone. And most of his records are nearly all classical, uh, covered in paint handprints and things like that. So they're pretty beaten up. And then there's a little bit of piano music, which was recorded in the Steinway piano in the homestead with one of Arthur Boyd's relatives playing a concert. So in, in a way, um, and Boyd used to paint listening to music all the time. So mm. um, it, it's sort of like he's sort of sonic headspace, if you like. From the Bible, Boyd chose the story of Nebuchadnezzar, the tyrant king of Babylon, who was banished by the Lord and sent naked into the wilderness to suffer in his guilt and madness, terrifying visions.
one thing he does, which is apparently quite authentic, he dreams that his family will be cut down and out of one person that's left, the flowers will grow or the family will sprout again. King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. They shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee. I met a traveller from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive, stamped upon these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the hearts that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear, my name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. Look upon my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains, round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare. The lone and level sands stretch far away. The king lays staring at his claws, The king stands in a burning desert, weeping. The king sits and birds peck at his head. The king stands for his portrait. The king sits under a tree with melancholic thoughts. The king lays engulfed by his own stench. The king sits in judgment of emptiness. The king lays with aching bones. The king stands and stares at the horizon. The king sits slowly rocking back and forth. The king lies dreaming of a huge tree. The king stands and bows his head in sorrow. The king lays dreaming of four huge monsters. The king sits in his own excrement and is foul. The king stands, but he does not brush the flies from his face. The king lays on a bed of coals, but feels nothing. The king stands, dreaming of kingdoms. The king sits and sobs quietly. 
The king lays in the open, longing for his palace. The king sits by a rock and tries to remember. The king stands and shivers. The king lays and trembles in fear. The king sits and scratches himself. The king lays with visions of men consumed by flames. The king stands naked and hungry. The king lays and a tree grows from his bowels. The king sits and attempts to form a word. The king lays and birds peck out his eyes. The king sits for his portrait. The king lays in a pool of his own blood. The king stands and smiles stupidly. The king sits picking at his sores. The king lays and flowers blossom from his body. One thing he does, which is apparently quite authentic, he dreams that his family will be cut down and out of one person that's left, the flowers will grow or the family will sprout again. The king lays and is visited by ghosts. The king stands and pours the ground with his talons. The king lays for his portrait. The king sits and slowly chews grass. The king sits and grunts. The king stands motionless and empty. The king lays for his portrait. The king stands and screams silently. The king lays dreaming of his harem. The king sits but cannot recall his throne. The king sits dribbling saliva into his beard. The king stands and is struck by lightning. The king lays still and becomes a skeleton. and flowers blossom from his body. The king sits slowly rocking back and forth. 
king lives on a hoard of gold. The king sits and counts his blessings. The king stands staring at heaven, but does not understand. The Nebuchadnezzar Suites, the second in the Biopod series by Nigel Hellyer. Nigel, did you write those texts that we've heard? They feel like they, in some ways, they're drawn from some of the biblical texts that, that Nebuchadnezzar appears in, but, but they're very much a, a prose version of this that that feels in some way in, instructional to, to the king. So did that, did that, did they come from you? Yes, I, I wrote them. I basically, I looked at as many of those paintings as I could. I tried to respond to the, the paintings with almost like haiku-like phrases. And, and of course, there's a kind of despondency in much of the text because, you know, he, he's been banished and he's lost, he's forlorn. I think the most central image for me is actually not, not a Boyd image, it's Blake's uh, engraving of Nebuchadnezzar, which I'm pretty sure that um, Boyd would have seen in, in England, in that um, Nebuchadnezzar is really wild, with very, very long hair and a very stern look. He's on all fours, he has claws, and he's, he's completely transformed. He's really rewilded. But the, the, the Boyd images are... I think in some ways much more desperate. I mean, the, the, the character is on fire or he's turned into a skeleton or what have you. But it's, it's this encounter with, with landscape and this um, kind of the alterity of a, an Australian landscape, which is, um, I think, a very enduring and powerful sentiment that comes out of the paintings. And in effect, the rewilding is something that you're asking or you're suggesting your participants and the people that climb into these biopods experience for a, a moment in, in comfortable time, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, basically you, you, you go in and you lie down in this thing which looks a bit like a kind of medical um, scanning machine, yeah. <laughs> um, and you, you listen to this uh, series of, of, as you say, almost like kind of instructions that are quite terse descriptions, and you're invited to sort of drift off into this... Um, this other space and um, for a moment sort of consider what might happen to you if you were in that situation yourself. Yeah. The photos that I've seen, um, there seems to be a continuity of this idea of suspension across both of the Biopods projects to date because you actually climb up in, even though you might be, well, maybe not the standing one, but you actually climb up into something. So you are kind of elevated off the ground in the same way that you were you were in this sort of floating recording studio. Is there something in that in that taking your feet off the ground that, that kind of, I don't know, feeds the experience? Well, uh, yes, I think so. I mean, it's, it's like climbing into and almost becoming a part of another structure. In a sense, it is, I suppose the metaphor is vehicular. You know, you, mm. you, you are embraced in something or you are kind of cocooned in something and lifted off or transported away. You know, you, you, you step off the ground, as you say. You're, you're away from your normal reference. Yeah. And I think that, that helps in a little 
it's a small psychological difference, but I think it helps to to let people let people go somewhere else. And in the last line in the piece we've just heard, the king stands staring at heaven but doesn't understand. Can you speak to that? Because ultimately Nebuchadnezzar undoes his rewilding and becomes the, you know, the sort of militant that he was before he was exiled. Yes, I mean, it's a, an unfortunate story in the sense he was an awful person before he was sent into exile and he came back from exile and became an awful person again. So in a way, the, the, the lesson wasn't learnt. Yeah. Um, or the lesson was, you know, it actually confirmed his prior behavior but um so maybe when he looks at heaven doesn't understand he doesn't understand what he's doing there in the first place because he fully intends to be a tyrant when he comes back Uh but maybe that's something less about the person and more about the historical political system that he was part of although maybe there was no alternative for him to be anything but a tyrant i'm I'm not sure what the moral implication of that one is but (laughs) It's a, it certainly isn't a moral story in the more contemporary um, sense of a moral story. No, is it a, is it a kind of a, a gentler proposition to invite people to rewild? Well, I think everyone needs to rewild, and they probably need to rewild um, quite a lot, and a, a lot more often than we tend to do. Mm. Um, and I think that means it's actually at the basis of the kind of environmental movement in a way that wildness or wilderness is is really the the fundament and key to human existence. And we you know, we're definitely at danger of losing contact with that. And um the challenges of, of wilderness and the I suppose the way they inspire awe. Uh, something that we really can't live without. But unfortunately, many people do live without. Mm. So finally, Nigel, what did what did you take away from this proximity that you, you had with Nebuchadnezzar's story but Arthur Boyd's paintings? I think it's, it is to do with this idea of a kind of, of, of a journey, um, a, a personal journey, and one which is constantly transforming. It's almost a metaphor for the kind of colonization of the landscape that we travel through it, both as individuals and as a sort of society. And as we do that, we transform and modify the landscape. But that's always done with a, the kind of notion in the back of our minds that we will pass through and disappear and that the landscape will keep keep changing and transforming. And should we come back in a 100 200, 1,000 years, it would be different. And I think that's, that notion of ephemerality and of transformation, of travelling through, is is the strongest thing I have take away from it, in, in the sense that, you know, Nebuchadnezzar goes through all these phases. He, he becomes an animal, he eats grass, but then he goes back to being a tyrant, mm. you know. Um, yeah, for me it's more this, 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 this kind of notion of a flow through landscape, of being in a landscape in a very direct way, in a sense, leaving it in the end. Sound artist, sculptor and rewilder, Nigel Hellyer. And if feral structures based on Boyd's Nebuchadnezzar weren't enough, in the next and final instalment of the Biopods, Nigel plans to build an instrument that scans Boyd's paintings and shows you their chemical composition.
On the Soundproof website, you'll find a bunch of photos of punters sitting, standing and laying in the biopods and some very evocative images of Nebuchadnezzar. abc.net.au slash rn slash soundproof. Soundproof.